You guys ready? Okay. It was brought to my attention that I did five verses in 26 weeks. I've only got three here. <laughs> so, I have been warned the next series will be the priorities of the husband. And I've been warned that if I don't have as many messages for the husbands as I do for the wives, I should move on to 6 9. <laughs> So, uh, here we go. Chapter 5, 22 to 24. Wives, be subject to your own husband as to the Lord. For the Lord is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, He Himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Father, help us to hear this is going to go against the norm but i know that when paul wrote this it was going against the norm then so lord uh may they not hear me may they hear you and uh, lord may we uh bow before your holy word and conclude with a hearty amen to my king and lord amen (laughs) this is a very famous text or some of you would refer to it as infamous text. We've been looking at this, and you got to understand you're still going to be dealing with the Spirit-filled life. okay? And what he starts doing now is explaining to us what that thing looks like. And he will do that until chapter 6, verse 9. okay? 21 sets the stage for this. Too many of us, I think, miss that is that we are to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The fear of Christ is reverence, is reverence for Christ. If you go look at men of the Bible when they were approached by a holy angel or a pre-incarnation of Christ, they hit the ground. It scared them. All right? Every part of our existence in humanity is based on leadership and submission. Some people will call it authority. But it's leaders. Somebody's leading and somebody's following. All right? Every part of our lives. But as I look around the American family, I don't see that. The American family is under assault. Women's lib divorces, abortion, everything is difficult. Uh, I was reading an article this week on toxic masculinity. I was like, what? So it kind of got, well, toxic masculinity. Is that John Bunyan or Paul Bunyan or what? The guy brought up some things that 43% of children in this country are being raised by single mothers. 78% of our kids are being taught by women. And I'm trying to figure out how we've got masculinity. So I just don't see it. And, and it's not this macho thing. I'm talking about what God has called men to be. Men are beaten for trying to lead. And the whole system is against men leading. And, you know, you can sit and say, well, you're just, no. Been around for a while. Seen it. I watched the degradation of it. And it's growing. When I read this letter, I have to go back historically. Okay. Paul's in Ephesus. Okay. You've got to understand that the time of Paul. He had three systems that he was dealing with. Okay. He had the Jews, which he was one, but you had Greeks and their societal norms, and you had Romans and their societal norms. And that's who he's writing to. But here's the thing that you got to keep remembering. He had in this church in Ephesus men and women who came out of the Greek culture. He had men and women who came out of the Roman culture, and he had men and women who came out of the Greek culture. 
So he has to deal with all of those. Paul's dead right in the middle of it. So I want to kind of go through some of these norms that these people had. The Jews had a very, very low view of women. Okay? Women were considered servants. Period. Okay? Wives, that's daughters, they were all servants. And a common Jewish prayer was, I thank God that I am not a Gentile, I am not a slave, or I am not a woman. Okay? That was their common prayer. That's the Jewish view. All right? If they had a text that... uh, I've watched men who profess Christ take this text out of Ephesians and beat their wife stupid with it. Okay? And it's... that's. Uh, that's to me that's fingernails on a chalkboard because you missed verse 21 alright but the Jews were worse let me give you a, a verse and see how you think when a man takes a wife and marries her and it happens that he finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her He writes her a letter, certificate of divorce, and puts her in her hand and sends her out of the house. Now, ladies, how would you like to have that hanging around your neck? Whatever my husband decide is indecent or has lost favor in his eyes, there's the door. What a concept, huh? And you'd send them away. Uh, some of your translations will say uncleanness. And he could divorce for what was unclean is the question. So you have some rabbinical teachings that said adultery is the only ground for divorce. You could send them out for divorce. Okay. But you had some rabbinical teachings that said it can be anything. If she spoils her dinner. If you catch her talking to another man. Even if you find one prettier. You can divorce and go to that one. Okay. So one says adultery and one says anything. Which do you suppose the nation of Israel accepted? Anything. This is at the time of Christ. This is at the time of Paul's preaching. Okay, that's the Jewish mindset. It's not what the Scriptures teaches. This text is explaining that if this woman has been divorced and set out, then she's free to marry. But that's what man does when he gets his hand on Scripture. He corrupts it. Okay? So that's a Jewish mindset. So to say that there was a divorce problem in the Jewish nation would be the world's greatest understatement. All right? But the world around it was worse. The Greeks, they had no legal form of divorce. You couldn't divorce. And you'll see why here in a minute. But wives were to organize the house, to keep the house clean, and to bear legitimate children to the man's name. Okay? Where I come from, they call those broodmares. The sex life was outside of the marriage. Okay? So if you can have your cake and eat it too, why divorce? Right? I mean, maybe she's a good, healthy woman with a good pedigree, can give you healthy children. I'll just keep my family name going with this woman, but I can entertain myself with this. Concubines were considered for the sake of cohabitation. It was very common for Greeks to have concubines come and live in the house. And if the husband got 
I, I don't know how you pull that off. But you didn't have to sleep with your wife. You could go sleep with another woman in your house. The wives, like I said, were for legitimate children taking care of the household affairs. But the Greek man had his pleasure outside of his marriage. Why Paul is writing this letter in the middle of this Greek culture. There's a word in the Greek, porneos, as we translate fornication. It was part of the society. It's just just what you did. There's two words. Porne was a, a woman for sale, and pornos was a man for sale. Male and female prostitution was the norm. You see it all the way through between Rome all the way over to Asia Minor. You want a good, healthy mate to have your kids carry on your family name. But the rest of it was pleasure and it was outside of marriage. So you see why there was no divorce? Don't need to. All right. In Athens, if I can read this. In Athens in 451 B.C., they passed a law that... Uh, you had no rights unless the parents were both Athenian. They weren't both of Athens' birth. So if you were not Athenian, you had serious problems in a very large city. You had no economic power. You had no good jobs. You were at a disadvantage from the get-go. So non-Athenian women... Turn to the oldest profession. And it's just the same as we used to be in this country. Everybody went to the cities to make the money, to make the jobs. So the city was filled with non-Athenian women who were selling their wares. Okay? And a lot of the stuff, the history stuff that I read about uh, the Greek Peninsula, the Italian Peninsula, and then over in the underbelly, what you would know as Macedonia, and then drop down into what is today Turkey. All of those cultures used these women liberally, and uh, it was actually something that was encouraged. Okay? But they believed in equal rights. So the men would encourage their wives to be involved with the slaves in the household. Okay? So, honey, you go you go play with whatever. I'm going to go over here and play with whatever. And then tell me when you're ready to have a child and we'll have a child. But the men didn't want their wives to be bearing children of other men, so they encouraged them into lesbianism. Okay? That's one way to keep them from getting pregnant, I guess. And because the father of the house didn't want any kids. You will also find that there is a, a large market for what we call pedophilia. Because if the woman would take a young, young, young boy, the odds of her getting pregnant by him were slim. This is where the culture that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter. Sometimes things just don't change. Divorce in the Jews was rampant. In the Greek, there was no need for divorce. But there's the Romans. Love them Romans. I read an article by a historian who wrote around this time that uh, he witnessed a wedding a woman was taking her 23rd husband. But the husband, she was going to be his 21st wife. And they divorced. The laws for divorce in Rome was very, very liberal. Way more liberal than even here. And I told you, it's easier to get out of a marriage here in Colorado than it is a car lease. 
One gentleman bragged about having 10 wives in 10 months. Basically what that is, is legalized prostitution. They also had a a large uh, women's lib organization and uh, they were trying to get women not to have children because it would hurt their looks of their body. And how can I keep getting married if I've got stretch marks or veins or whatever? Women took up wrestling because uh, the men enjoyed watching it. But if the men could do it, then the women should be able to do it too. Socrates went into Corinth and he said he loved Corinth as a place to relax. You had bare-chested women climbing poles and spearing pigs. But he also made this statement. What modesty can you expect from a woman wearing a helmet? Okay. To say it was a debauched society was probably be the greatest understatement you'd ever make. Please understand, God put a church in the middle of this, several different places. This is the society that the Apostle Paul is facing. Okay, Some of you were with us when we went to the book of Corinth and I told you how, what a chaos that was. The problem was is that people were coming to salvation, but they were bringing their society into the church. Okay? So now you kind of have an idea of the situation. Wives, submit. See, this has always bugged me. Why does he say it this way? Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Well, that makes sense. I'm going to be subject to somebody else's husband. But if you're doing that with the Greek culture and the Roman culture and the Jewish culture, you had better be specific. That's why it's written that way. And yet, husbands, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. So that's the one that gets us, doesn't it? Because, see, you drop verse 21, and it says, Be subject to one another in the fear of the Lord. Well, who's one another? Anybody, it ain't you. Okay? Paul writing this is a call to a new standard. This is a different standard of living than what you have lived in. You're going to live in a way that you don't know. Look around the church today. This is a standard of living that many in the church don't know. They don't have a clue. These believers were coming out of a chaotic society, whether you were Jewish, whether you were Greek background or Roman background. And Paul is saying, you wives, give yourself to your own husband. Husbands, give yourself to your wives as Christ did the church. Well, that ain't what it says. No, wait a minute. That's just what it's implied. Look at it. When Christ gave himself, he gave himself for who? The church. What did he hold back? See, men know what the women are supposed to do. Women know what the men are supposed to do. And ain't none of us doing what we're supposed to do. That's why you see in there your own wives, your own husbands. Why? If I'm in the Greek community, my own wife can be whoever I choose at the moment. If you're in the Roman community, just play in the field. Paul's telling these believers in Ephesus, and we know the church was birthed on Jewish believers who had been baptized by John the Baptist. That was the foundation. And out of that, they were reaching the Gentiles. 
And he's telling them to get your family together in God's plan. I want you to have spirit-filled family. I want you to have a spirit-directed family. Listen, the thing that was shocking to me about this when I got back through the history of it, this is a brand spanking new approach in Ephesus. The Jews didn't know this. The Romans didn't know this. The Greeks didn't know this. This is a new revelation to mankind. And you know what? I think it is today. You can get in trouble with this text. Trust me. You know, I told you that I read the letter from Pastor Phillips if I had a gun. I'm not sure by the time I get through this, ain't somebody going to come at me with a gun. Listen, remember what we've been looking at in this context? We don't get drunk to commune with God. That's completely abstract to the community. We are filled with the Spirit of the living God. We don't go to pagan orgies and things like that. We sing hymns, spiritual songs. Hmm. Joy in our hearts. We do not seek fame. We thank God. We don't base ourselves on pride and accomplishment. It's completely against the system. We subject ourselves to one another in reverence to Christ. Hmm. So, our families are going to be different than the families of the world. Ours should be different. Paul is telling the believers in Ephesus, you should be different. Our relationships are covered in such love that authority and submission, while it exists, and hear this well, it's covered in such love that authority and submission has to exist. But it's almost invisible. You can't see it. That's our homes. Authority and submission in our homes should not be obvious. Authority and submission covered in love. I look at it as leadership. You don't know who the leader is. But there is one. If someone has to verbalize that they are the leader, then I know they're not. Okay, or they're trying to convince themselves. Authority and leadership. And then you have submission. I shared with you what, two weeks ago. That's the church. You have those in the church who are in authority. And you have the others that are in submission. Okay? So, I was wandering around in my foolishness. And I said, I need to get an illustration of this. How does this leadership and submission covered in love, how does that look? I mean, what, what does it look like if I can't see it? You've seen it. You, you've seen dominating houses, haven't you? I've seen dominating men. I've seen dominating women. Okay. But let me show you what God's standard looks like. <laughs> Here we go. Song of Solomon. Chapter 2, beginning at verse 3. King has married a Shulamite woman. Chapter 3. This woman speaking of her husband. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among young men. In his shade I took great delight, and I sat down 
and his fruit was sweet to my taste. The right married relationship of leadership and submission. Okay. In love. We will look at this and see his part and her part. But it is obvious if the woman is writing this kind of stuff that she is madly in love with this dude. Okay. She is describing there in verse 3 how he functions as the head of the house. All right. In a whole bunch of trees, he's the apple tree. Okay. You know what that means? He's special. He's not common. He stands out in all of the trees. But if you look at the way she wrote this, or Solomon wrote this, this woman takes great delight and sat down and his fruit was sweet to my taste. You know what that is? That's security. You can get under the shade of the old apple tree. Ain't there a song like that somewhere? You get under that and you can rest there. It is shelter. It's protection. It's security. And it's all in the shade of that man. This is a recognition that the man is the head. Okay? And she recognizes that all from her love. I can read this. There's, when there's more, we'll get some more here. But there's nothing threatening here. If love is there, the woman is not threatened. This is a, a heart wish fulfilled that a man would shade her and would give her rest so that she could sit in the shadow of him. That's security. Verse 4, And he has brought me to his banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. Do you see that? He's given her security. He's given her shade. He, now he's taken and he's feeding her. He's providing for her. He takes her to the banquet hall. Okay, and when you see this in the Old Testament, where it says, and his banner over me is love. You know what that means? Dude's got a big old sign up that says, I love this woman. So everybody knows, I love this woman. He loved her. And the world knew that he loved her. You want a wife that adores you guys? You'll find a wife that is secure in you. And that you can tell the rest of the world, and mine. Not there's mine. And let the wife have the confidence that the world knows you love her. I've seen couples before that you're like, are they brother and sister? What is that? But the banner over this woman is love. Now let's ask yourself. I'm going to ask the women first. How much confidence and security does that give you if the world knows your husband loves you? It does, doesn't it? Guys, have you told the world that you love him? Everybody, next week, everybody will be coming in with a sign, a flag. <laughs> If she knows that the world knows that you love her, there is a tremendous security there. Women need to know they are loved. Listen, buddy, this is not icky sentimentalism. I'll give her some chocolate. I'll give her some flowers. She likes flowers. That ain't what this is. This is giving yourself unto her. My goal is her. It's not that 
smooshy, smooshy stuff. You know, we sit around and watch romantic movies together. It's awesome. And then we watch Rambo. The, I, I read this letter through a few times in the last few weeks, and I was like, dude, <laughs> you're making us look bad. There's tremendous security. You can tell a woman who is secure in her husband. That's where she gets her security from. Women need to know they are loved. You need to tell everyone else. Here's my banner. I love this one. Verse 5. Sustain me with raisin cakes. You can keep the raisin cakes, but I understand what he's saying here. Refresh me with apples because I'm lovesick. You know we're reading the Holy Word of God, right? (laughs) She is sustained. He's taking care of her. He's feeding her. And the more he does that, what happens? More goofy love she gets. I'm lovesick. I'm lovesick. Verse 6, let his left hand be under her head. See which one? This is left. And his right hand embrace me. He is her strength and security as well as providing. Okay? She leans on him. Okay, now remember, leadership and submission. Goes there in verse 7, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the hinds of the field, that you do not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. The boy's taking a nap. She said, keep it down. He hasn't gotten up yet. Verse 10. My beloved responded to me and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. Okay? And you think, well, what the heck is going on now? I'll read verse 11. For behold, the winter is past, and the rain is over and gone. The flowers are all ready to appear in the land. The time has arrived for the pruning of the vines, and the voice of the turtle dove can be heard on the land. You know what that means? Spring is in the air. And, and, and everybody, let's get married. He takes the lead there. The end of verse 13. Well, I'll just read the whole thing. The fig tree has ripened its figs and the vine and blossom given forth their fragrance. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. Who's leading? He is. Please note, there is no oppression here. She didn't even wake him up. Get up, time to go. She didn't do that. She says, no, he's asleep. When he gets up, we'll, we'll do this. He gets up and he says, well, let's go. He says, all right. There's no ruling here. It's leading. It's leading. It's not oppressive. It's not a dictatorship. Him acting in his God-given role. Okay? Verse 16, my beloved is mine and I am his, his pasture, his flocks among the lilies. It's awesome, isn't it? He has a banner that tells the world I love her and she says, he is my beloved and I love him. Did you see that? It never loses its balance. He's leading 
And she's submitting. But in her submission, she is secure. She is provided for. She has her strength. And it's all coming from that dude. Look at our families today and tell me where you see that. Just a question. And yet, as the Apostle Paul told the screwed up people in Ephesus, he's telling you and me in screwed up Castle Rock. Okay? Do you see how she's seeing him? All right? It's a little bit different than what we have around today, isn't it? Protecting, guiding, leading. Let's go over chapter 5, verse 10. Dudes, get ready. It's going to (laughs) hurt. Verse 10, my beloved, there's it going again, is dazzling. Okay? And ruddy. You know what ruddy means? This thing happens in the road when you drive it too many times. <laughs> it means it's very pleasant to look at. He's olive bronze standing in hoy. He's outstanding among 10,000. Do you see how the woman, because of her security, because of the provisions, because she has rest there, that she can look at this and says, he's bedazzling. Greater than 10,000. I'm not sure if somebody called me ruddy, I'd be appreciative, but I was hoping it was meant well. His head is like gold. Pure gold. See? Blondes. I told you guys, get ready. <laughs> His locks are like cluster of dates. Black as a raven. His eyes are like doves besides streams of water bathed in milk and reposed in their settings. Bunch of mellowed out doves. You know what they call that in today's lingo? That there is tall, dark, and handsome. Eyes like doves, soft and tender. I get doves land on that little windowsill and you sit and look in their eyes. Noisy little buggers. Even the color of his cheeks are attractive. Verse 15. His legs are like pillars of alabaster, set on pedestals of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice with cedars. Gets better. How you measuring up, gentlemen? His mouth is full of sweetness. He is wholly desirable. He is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Dude's in shape. I mean, he's got pillar legs and all the rest of it. How are we doing? Everybody says they want six-pack abs. I got a keg. (laughs) Come here, woman. This is how this woman sees her husband. This is a woman's joy. She respects his strength. She respects his provision. She respects the rest that just being near him gives her. His mouth is full of sweetness. He is wholly desirable. Did you get that? Partially. (laughs) Wholly desirable. But you know what I like here? This is my beloved. And what? This is my friend. I've seen couples before that I don't think they're friends. (laughs) Please note, gentlemen, that he is not a dictator. You cannot be a dictator and be beloved and a friend. Again, this is the balance between leadership 
and submission. It's mutual. It is done in the spirit of love. Love is what immerses this relationship. It is a relationship of leadership. It is a relationship of submission. So, if my husband is like that, never going to have a problem. Okay? Hmm. Yeah, you will. Like I said, I've read this letter a few times now. And you're all going to say, all the men are going to say, yep, that's right. (laughs) Chapter 5, verse 2. I was asleep, but my heart was awake. A voice. A voice. My beloved was knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is drenched with dew and my locks are damp of the night. Boy, was working late. Working late. She's asleep. Verse 3 is her response. I have taken off my dress. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I dirty them again? Hmm. My beloved extended his hand through the opening and my feelings were aroused for him. I arose to open the door to my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh and my fingers with liquid myrrh and the handles on the bolt. Dude smelled everything up. Verse 6, I opened to my beloved but my beloved had turned away and had gone. She rejected him. Now, there's a whole bunch of things that I want us to try to look at here. He did not force the issue. It's obvious that he had worked late and he had come home, put some smelly stuff on. Okay, and he went to see the wife. And she says, dude, I'm in bed. It's co- Listen, they didn't have heat. I'm doing good. My feet are clean. I'd have to get my feet dirty. I'd have to wash them again. i got to put my clothes on. Come on, slick. Not my fault you worked all night. He didn't force the issue. He was submissive to her. See that? Ten to sixteen deals with what happens. She uh, goes after him. I opened my beloved, turned away, and had gone. My heart went out to him as he spoke. I searched for him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer me. The watchman who makes the rounds in the city found me. They struck me. They wounded me. The guardsmen of the wall took away my shawl from me. I had your old daughters of Jerusalem. If you find my beloved, as to what you will tell him, for I am lovesick. What kind of beloved is your beloved? O most beautiful among women, what kind of beloved is your beloved that thus you adjure us? Okay? She went after him. Paid a price for it too. Chapter 6, verse 2. My beloved had gone down to his garden, to the beds of the balsam, to the pastures of his flocks and his garden and his lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Who pastors his flocks were among the lilies. Okay, see, I've already given you that verse, but did you see the interlude that was there? They were separated. She rejected him. He did not force the issue, and he left. Hmm. 
So even if your husband is like the apple tree in the forest, he ain't washing my feet again. Come on, sleep. Tomorrow's coming. The things that he says to her, okay, now I skipped this on purpose, but the things that he said, you are as beautiful as Tazar, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem, as awesome as an army with banners. Turn your eyes for, away from me, for they have confused me. Your hair is like a flock of goats. That's a good thing. Okay. That is descended from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes. They've come up for their washing, all of which bear twins. And not one among them has lost her young. Your temples are like spliced pomegranates behind your veil. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and maidens without number. But my dove, my perfect one, is unique. She is her mother's only daughter. She is a pure child, one who bore her. And the maidens saw her and called her blessed. And the queens and the concubines also, they praised her saying, Who is this? that grows like dawn the beautiful full moon. You know what is amazing about that text right there? Those are the exact words he said to her on their wedding night. She's just rejected him and then realizes that, oops, and goes hunting. He's down to his flocks in his garden she comes down there and he says the same words to her that he shared with her on her wedding night. So that means that you sent me away. You wouldn't get out of bed for me. You wouldn't get your feet dirty for me. No, he didn't say that. He gave her the same words that he gave her on her wedding night. You are as beautiful as Teresa is, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem, as awesome of an army of banners. Basically what he's telling her, I love you now. Even after you turned me away, as much as I loved you the night that I married you, you are still the one. Now chapter 7, they go back to the bedroom and then the scene fades out. <laughs> This is what the Bible teaches about meaningful relationships. Really meaningful relationship. I'll close with two things. One, we submit to one another in reverence to the Lord. Two, in function in our lives, there is leadership and there is submission. Okay, when it's covered in love, and what I've just given you through the Song of Solomon, you can't tell who's leading or who's following. But the woman knows. We will be learning in the next few months, and it will give us fulfilled relationships with everybody. See, you need to kind of set aside the world's idea and say, God, what do you want? What do you want? I mean, we read that and you think there's, you know, first couple of times I read through that, I said, man, that is about as nutty as it gets. And just, I just looked at it and said, boy, that dog don't hunt. Now I know why nobody ever preached out of Song of Solomon. Because it's a fairy tale. But I'll tell you this. I sat under the teaching of a rabbi who had come to Christ. And this guy was, well, he had way too much grave matter. Okay. Do you know what book led him to Jesus Christ? Song of Solomon. 
because he understood that that was what the love of Christ was, was for the church. And it's like, you got saved by the Song of Solomon? Okay. We got a ways to go. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you that we possess, each of us, a love that is out of this world. It's supernatural. You have poured your love into our hearts by the Spirit of the living God. Let us be Spirit-filled so that we may love that way. Help us, Lord. Teach us now. Even when we see the problem that existed between Shulamite woman and the king. King graded her back. It's the words that he gave her on their wedding night. Father, don't let the men be oppressors. Be leaders. Let them lead in love, the fear of the Lord. Thank you, Father, for men and women, for marriage, for your word, indwelling of your spirit, your precious bride, your church. In Christ's name, amen.